On February 13, 2013, 23-year-old Aaron Hernandez partied the night away at the largest strip club in the world, Tootsie's Cabaret in Miami, Florida. He appeared to have plenty to celebrate. He had signed a massive contract extension with the New England Patriots that made him one of the highest paid tight ends in the game. But under the surface, Hernandez was paranoid, angry, and on edge, fearing that his old friend and drug supplier, Alexander Bradley, would turn him in for a crime they had recently committed. As the music raged on, Hernandez and Bradley got into a heated argument. After some time, Hernandez decided he'd had enough and left the club. He walked towards his car to drive home, but Bradley followed him into the parking lot. The two hopped into Hernandez's car, Bradley refusing to end the conversation. Eventually, the argument subsided and Bradley fell asleep, giving Hernandez the perfect opportunity to stop the car, take out his pistol, and load it. Bradley woke up to a gun pointed directly at his head. Welcome to Sports Criminals, a ParCast original. Every week, we dive into the dark side of sports history and look at athletes who not only broke the law, but broke the rules and covenants of their sport. We'll also uncover how their actions impacted the history of the sport they played. I'm Tim Johnson. And I'm Carter Roy. You can find episodes of Sports Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Sports Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar. Today, we're discussing Aaron Hernandez, the star NFL tight end whose life descended into violence and chaos. We'll cover Hernandez's early life, his entry into the NFL, and his struggles with crime and violence. In our next episode, we'll explore how Hernandez's extreme paranoia destroyed his life and career. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. For his entire life, Aaron Hernandez lived and breathed football. Growing up in the 90s in Bristol, Connecticut, the hometown of ESPN and a stronghold of the New England Patriots, the sport wasn't just more important than life, it was life. His father, Dennis Hernandez, was a town legend, a former high school football star and larger-than-life figure who'd earned the nickname The King. But Dennis hadn't made it far. He only managed to play one season of football at the University of Connecticut before returning to Bristol to work as a school custodian. Still, he held a position of respect and authority in the town and worked hard to maintain it. Aaron Hernandez tried his best to follow in his father's football footsteps, developing an intense passion for the sport. As soon as he started playing in youth leagues, he knew that he wanted to become a professional football player just like the ones he saw when his father brought him to Foxborough Stadium for Patriots games. But behind closed doors, his childhood wasn't pleasant. Dennis Hernandez was a violently abusive man. He regularly took out his anger on his wife and sons, beating her for embarrassing him and them for receiving bad grades. When Hernandez was two years old, his parents divorced. A year later, Dennis Hernandez was arrested for attempting to buy cocaine from an undercover cop. 
His parents reconciled not long after, but that did little to calm an otherwise turbulent household. In 1999, his family declared bankruptcy, and two years later, his mother was arrested for underground sports gambling. To top it off, Hernandez was at some point sexually molested by an older man. The details about the perpetrator or the timeline are unknown, but the molestation left severe emotional scar tissue that he would carry the rest of his life. Thankfully, Hernandez had a place he could turn to, the football field. He made varsity as a freshman and at six foot one was already bigger and more skilled than the team's older players. On his very first game as a high school player, he caught a touchdown pass from his older brother who played quarterback. Their father had never been more proud and greeted his sons after the game with hugs. Everyone, coaches, teammates, and his family could tell that young Aaron Hernandez wasn't just good, but he was going to be one of the greatest. Aaron exuded a high-achieving, confident exterior, but internally, he struggled with sky-high expectations, anger, and fear. To cope with the pressure, he learned how to live a double life, just like his father. Hernandez started smoking marijuana every day in secret. He partied, drank, smoked, and hung out with a tough crowd that included some small-time criminals and drug dealers. He also allegedly struggled with his sexuality. Publicly, Hernandez dated plenty of girls, maintaining his image as the town's all-American star. But privately, he had an intimate relationship with a male teammate. Both took great pains to keep it secret. On the field, Aaron put up numbers that no one had ever seen before. As a senior, he set the Connecticut state record with 67 receptions for 1,807 yards in a single season. He had no trouble receiving college offers and committed to the University of Connecticut, his father's alma mater. But on January 4, 2006, Hernandez watched as his father was taken for a routine hernia surgery. On the operating table, he contracted an infection. And two days later, Dennis Hernandez's condition worsened. He passed away at the young age of 49, turning Hernandez's life upside down. His father's overwhelming presence, both for good and for ill, was gone. Hernandez felt unmoored and confused. He didn't know how to process his grief, so he avoided it. He didn't cry at his father's funeral, nor did he visit the gravesite. Separated from what remained of his family, Hernandez decided he wanted to forge his own path, and that meant breaking his commitment to the University of Connecticut. He knew he was a burgeoning star, and he wanted a bigger stage for his talent. Enter the University of Florida. The prestigious football program was led by young and esteemed coach Urban Meyer, who swooped in to recruit Hernandez. The Gators impressed him with state-of-the-art facilities, a massive fan base, and their poised position in the national rankings. Meyer was convinced that they were a season or two away from a national championship. Hernandez was sold. At Florida, he could make a name for himself outside the shadow of his father. He could break away from the expectations, leave behind his violent and turbulent past, and do what he felt he was meant to do. Play. 
Eager to get out of Connecticut and start a new chapter in his life, 17-year-old Aaron Hernandez graduated high school a semester early. He moved to Gainesville in January of 2007 and immediately jumped into training with the team. But while Hernandez was ready for collegiate football, he wasn't yet emotionally or academically prepared for life in college. His reading and writing skills were remedial. He was volatile and immature, still struggling to process the enormous upheaval in his family over the previous year. A few months after moving to Florida, Hernandez went out drinking at a local bar with his teammates, including star quarterback Tim Tebow. At the end of the night, a conflict arose between Hernandez and one of the bar managers over a $12 charge. As the argument escalated, Hernandez punched the bar manager in the ear and ruptured his eardrum. Hernandez faced felony assault charges, but the University of Florida couldn't let anything happen to their star recruit. They sent in their fixer, a local lawyer who was technically unaffiliated with the university, but used his legal acumen and contacts to protect the university and its players. The fixer did his job well. He covered up the fight, made sure Hernandez wasn't charged with any crime, and kept the entire incident out of the papers. The Florida Gators football program and their star recruit remained protected. Aaron Hernandez faced no real consequences, not legally at least. Urban Meyer and the other coaches did yell at him to make him see how badly he'd messed up, but their words didn't matter. The actions of the university did. The only lesson he learned was that if he misbehaved, someone would step in to protect him. All because he was a good football player and they needed him to win games. This was a lesson that Hernandez would learn time and time again, even as his misbehavior became much more pronounced and far more violent. Coming up, a shootout with a local resident threatens to undermine Hernandez's promising collegiate career. Now, back to the story. In the spring of 2007, 17-year-old tight end Aaron Hernandez joined the prestigious University of Florida football program. The Gators were aiming for a national championship in the next few years, and Hernandez was a key newcomer to the Gators' offense. But before he even appeared in a game, there were major concerns about his maturity. In his first semester, he punched a bar manager in the head. He narrowly avoided legal consequences, only because the university intervened. The close call with the law didn't make Hernandez reconsider his lifestyle or behavior. If anything, it bolstered his desire to enjoy life as much as he could. Hernandez continued to drink, smoke, and party without fear of repercussions right up to the start of the season. Someone else would clean up the mess if needed. On September 22, 2007, Hernandez made the first catch of his college career, hauling in a six-yard pass from Tim Tebow during a close game against top-ranked Ole Miss. Though this was his only catch, his presence as both a receiving threat and a punishing blocker helped the team pull out a 30-24 win, their fourth straight of the season. One week later, however, Florida suffered their first loss of the season against Auburn. Hernandez hadn't managed to catch a pass all game. The next night, the team went out to party away their sorrows, but Hernandez maintained a sour mood. At some point, the group got into an argument with a local resident named Randall Kaysen. 
The players accused Kaysen of ripping off one of their gold chains, but Kaysen insisted he was innocent. The fight escalated to the point where the entire group, Kaysen and Hernandez included, was asked to leave. Kaysen got into his car with two of his friends and they drove away, but when they stopped at a light, a figure ran up to the car, gun raised, and fired five times. When the shooting stopped, Kaysen looked over at his two companions. The passenger was shot in the arm while the driver was shot in the head. Both survived. Later, Kaysen told police that the shooter was a football player from the University of Florida, so detectives showed him a photo lineup of the team. They asked him if he would identify any of them as the shooter. Kaysen recognized number 81, Aaron Hernandez. When the University of Florida got wind of the identification, they jumped into action once again to protect their investment in a young star. The university's fixer advised Hernandez on how to deal with the impending interrogation. Keep your mouth shut. Ask for a lawyer. He'll take care of it. Over the next day, the case against Aaron Hernandez suspiciously fell apart. Eyewitnesses disagreed over the identity of the shooter. Kaysen recanted his statement, claiming he hadn't gotten as good a look as he'd originally thought. The police then ruled Hernandez out as a suspect. No arrest was ever made in connection with the shooting. Six days later, Aaron Hernandez was back on the field to help his Gator team take on Louisiana State University. The game was ESPN's College Game Day pick of the week. On TV, nothing about the shooting was mentioned. In the following game against Kentucky, Hernandez scored the first touchdown of his college career. Against Florida Atlantic, he scored another. The Gators ended the season 9-4 and and ranked 13th in the country. The team looked promising as ever, and Gator fans' expectations for Hernandez were rising quickly. But by the start of the 2008 season, Hernandez was in hot water yet again. He had failed a preseason drug test and was suspended for their first game against the University of Hawaii. Coach Urban Meyer didn't tell the public why Hernandez was suspended, only that he wasn't physically ready to play. The choice to suspend Hernandez for that first game was tactical. Hawaii was a weak opponent, and they didn't need Hernandez to win the game. Meyer was trying to scare him straight without losing his team's productivity. Once again, Hernandez understood that there were no consequences for his behavior as long as he kept performing. And after the suspension, Hernandez put on a great mask. He told his coaches and family that he'd stopped smoking and even moved into an assistant coach's house for supervision and stability. It was enough for everyone to believe that Hernandez was maturing. After his one-game suspension, Hernandez returned to the field and became one of the biggest weapons in a dominant Florida Gators offense. That year, he led them to a 13-1 record and a coveted spot in the BCS title game, where the Gators defeated number one-ranked Oklahoma to become national champions. In the title game, Hernandez caught a team-high five passes for 57 receiving yards, and his success only continued into the next season, his junior year. At just 20 years old, Hernandez led the team in receptions. The Gators again went 13-1, And though they just missed out on another BCS championship game, they ended ranked third in the country. 
At the end of the season, Hernandez won the Mackey Award, given to the best tight end in college football. Aaron Hernandez had done everything that he went to Florida to do. Win a championship, make a name for himself in the national spotlight, and set himself up for an eventual career in the NFL. But whatever progress Hernandez had seemingly made off the field dissipated. He went back to smoking marijuana on a daily basis, showed no signs of maturing emotionally, and there were even rumors that he'd become obsessed with guns. Hernandez collected weapons, carrying them with him and showing them off in selfies. His behavior turned aggressive. Hernandez had been too important to the team to suspend during the season, but as soon as it was over, the coaches wanted him gone. Urban Meyer told Hernandez point-blank that if he didn't enter the NFL draft, Meyer would cut him from the team. In January of 2010, 20-year-old Hernandez declared for the NFL, and Florida wiped their hands clean. Hernandez wasn't exactly upset to leave college. First-round picks were often awarded a multi-million dollar signing bonus, and Hernandez thought he had a great shot at getting picked. But at only 20 years old, Aaron Hernandez was one of the youngest NFL prospects by two years, and was one of the most controversial. His drug use, rumored criminal behavior, and widely known maturity issues made his age even more concerning for many teams. Yet his physical abilities, speed, shiftiness, size, made him an enticing high-risk, high-reward pickup for some teams. On the day of the draft, Hernandez watched with cool excitement. But when every other prominent tight end, and several of his teammates, were selected above him, he grew more and more nervous. As the rounds and days passed, the drop really sunk in. Though the first-round selections regularly signed massive contracts worth tens of millions of dollars, the sixth and seventh-round players were getting the low end of six figures, hardly the riches he had expected. But halfway through the fourth round, Aaron Hernandez received a phone call. It was the New England Patriots informing him of his selection with the 113th overall pick. Hernandez exploded with relief and joy. The New England Patriots weren't just the most successful franchise in the NFL, they were also his home team. That night, Hernandez went out partying with his friends at a local casino. If there was a lesson to be learned from his drop in the draft, he had no interest in learning it. After all, he'd been drafted by the best team in the league. He had no reason to think he needed to change his behavior. The New England Patriots were the most successful team of the decade, appearing in four Super Bowls and winning three. And under the powerful leadership of Bill Belichick, the team had a reputation for being able to handle problem players, molding them inside a strict system that allowed them to reach their full potential. Many analysts believe that if anyone could work around Aaron Hernandez's liabilities and make him a dependable player, it was Belichick and the Patriots. But for those who knew Aaron Hernandez personally, problems seemed inevitable. Returning to New England allowed Hernandez to slip seamlessly back into his old high school friend groups in Bristol, including those involved in drug deals and criminal behavior. As he began his first year for the Patriots, Hernandez hired two old friends to be his assistants. One of them was Alexander Bradley. 
Bradley was a low-level drug dealer who could supply Hernandez with as much marijuana and cocaine as he wanted. This time, however, Hernandez kept his personal and professional lives separate and did a good job of hiding his criminal connections from his team. He worked hard at practice and did whatever the Patriots asked of him on the field. Aaron Hernandez made his NFL debut on September 12, 2010, in front of a home crowd at Gillette Stadium. Early in the first quarter, Hernandez hauled in the first pass of his professional career by catching a quick throw from Tom Brady. He then outran the Bengals' defense for an outstanding 45-yard gain on the play. Hernandez was eager to prove that the Patriots were smart by drafting him, and for a while, it seemed like he was succeeding. He appeared in 14 games throughout the 2010 season, starting alongside Rob Gronkowski, the Patriots' other rookie tight end. The two complemented each other well. Hernandez was the speedy, receiver-type tight end who could create mismatches. Gronkowski was the massive brawler who could level defenders and also block effectively. Together, they formed one of the most effective tight end duos in the history of football. At the end of the regular season, Hernandez led all rookie tight ends in the NFL with 45 catches for 563 yards and six touchdowns. His team cruised to another AFC East division title with a 14-2 record and were set to play the New York Jets in the first round of the playoffs. But it was a tough match. The Jets managed to shut down the feared Gronkowski-Hernandez duo, holding them to a total of 69 yards and zero touchdowns. Without his strongest weapons, Tom Brady wasn't able to get the offense going, and the Patriots fell 21-28. Despite the disappointing end to their season, the Patriots had found their star players of the future. To all outside observers, it seemed like the famous Patriots system had done it again taking a troubled young man like Aaron Hernandez and turning him into a dependable player. But the problems that plagued Hernandez off the field weren't gone. In the locker room, he was bizarre and erratic. Outside of the team, he often partied with people that were volatile and violent. It wasn't long before Hernandez used football to try to hide from attempted homicide. Up next, crime threatens to tear apart Hernandez's friendships, his career, and his entire life. Now, back to the story. When the NFL season began in 2011, expectations were high for Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez. After a productive rookie year, he was a promising 21-year-old on a team that was destined for playoff success. But behind closed doors, he had made no real friends in the Patriots' locker room. He confused and disturbed his teammates with his almost dual nature. One day he'd refuse to speak to anyone, and the next he'd be the friendliest guy in the room. He made his teammates extremely uncomfortable with graphic and explicit behavior, regularly exposing himself. NFL locker rooms are notoriously hyper-masculine and often homophobic. Hernandez might have been using this outrageous behavior to muddy the waters around his own sexuality, but teammates were put off regardless. Hernandez not only acted strangely around them, but he had a daily marijuana habit and an entourage of sketchy friends. Veteran Patriots players warned newcomers about Hernandez. 
his off-kilter behavior, and his problematic companions. On the early morning of April 30th, 2011, a friend of Fernandez, Brandon Beam, gave him a ride home after a night of heavy drinking. Beam was driving over 120 miles per hour and was soon pulled over by the police. Hernandez feared that Beam would be thrown in jail, but the cop knew Hernandez was a Patriots player. He decided to give Beam nothing more than a speeding ticket. When they arrived home, Hernandez exploded with fury. He blamed Beam for nearly getting him in trouble with the law. The encounter could have led the Patriots to give him a drug test, something he would never pass. When the argument escalated into a fist fight, concerned neighbors called the police. Cops arrived just after 3 a.m. and cooled the situation down. No charges were ever filed. Yet again, Hernandez got a first-hand glimpse at how football stardom allowed him to live under a different set of rules. And it was yet another reminder of the risks the Patriots were taking with him. But it was a risk they were perfectly willing to take. Because their gamble continued to pay off in the 2011 season, Hernandez took a step up from his already excellent rookie season and cemented himself as one of the best players in the league. Individually, Hernandez had the 15th most receptions by any player in the league. As a team, he and Gronkowski set new NFL records for touchdowns by a pair of tight ends. The Patriots won 13 games during the season and powered their way into the playoffs. But on January 14, 2012, during the divisional round matchup against the Denver Broncos, Hernandez took the ball on a two-yard run in the fourth quarter and was brutally leveled by Broncos linebacker Joe Mays. Hernandez left the game and was diagnosed with a mild concussion. Luckily for the Patriots, the game was a smooth victory, but they were up against the Ravens next and the matchup wouldn't be easy. Hernandez missed no time. Returning to the field the very next week, he played all 83 offensive snaps, tallied 75 yards, and helped the team to a 23-20 victory. The Patriots had punched their ticket to the Super Bowl. Hernandez was on an incredible high. On February 5th, 2012, the Patriots took on the Giants in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. By the third quarter, Hernandez led the team in receiving yards and scored a touchdown, giving the Patriots a 17-9 lead. But just before the fourth, Lawrence Tynes and the Giants nailed a pair of field goals to make the score 17-15. The game was wickedly close. In the first two drives of the fourth quarter, both offenses punted. With three and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, Manning and the Giants marched down the field, carving up the exhausted Patriots' defense. They ran out as much of the clock as they could, then tumbled into the end zone, all but sealing the win. 64 seconds remained. Not much, but just enough time for Brady, Hernandez, and the rest of the Patriots' offense to get down the field. But on the first down, Brady threw an incomplete. On the second, another. On the third, he was sacked for a loss of six yards. With 30 seconds and one down left, Brady managed to complete a 19-yard pass to keep his team in the game, but the odds were steep. With only five seconds left, the Patriots were at midfield and down to their final play. 
their only chance was to run a Hail Mary. Hernandez took the field and towed the line of scrimmage, waiting for the snap. As soon as Brady dropped back, Hernandez sprinted for the end zone, turned, and saw the ball hurtling down towards him. Surrounded by Giants defenders, Hernandez leapt in the air with his arms outstretched, praying the ball would fall right into his hands. But a Giants defender swatted at the ball just inches from Hernandez's fingertips. It fell to the ground, and the game was over. The Patriots had come up just short. Hernandez collapsed onto the field in shock and defeat. He was excruciatingly close to a game-winning catch, to a Super Bowl victory, to football immortality. For a split second, it was all within reach, and then it was taken away. Despite coming up short in the Super Bowl, the Patriots couldn't have been happier with Hernandez. After the season, the Patriots made a huge financial commitment to their phenom tight end, signing 22-year-old Aaron Hernandez to a five-year, $40 million contract extension, the second largest in the history of the NFL. People weren't just talking about Hernandez as one of the best players in the league anymore. They were talking about him as one of the best of all time. But this success only fueled Hernandez's reckless behavior even further. He continued to spend most of his free time with his troubled friends back in Bristol. No one, not his teammates, his coaches, nor the media, was willing to challenge him on his behavior. On July 15, 2012, Aaron Hernandez was partying at a nightclub in Boston when another bar patron, a man named Daniel De Abreu, caused Hernandez to spill his drink. The hyper-aggressive, violent side of Hernandez came out immediately, enraged by this accidental slight. He accused De Abreu of disrespecting him and tried to start a fight, but Alexander Bradley, Hernandez's close friend, broke up the potential brawl. Two hours later, however, Hernandez and Bradley were driving out of the parking lot when they saw De Abreu and a friend sitting in a BMW. Hernandez and Bradley pulled up alongside De Abreu's car and rolled down the window. Hernandez yelled at De Abreu to get his attention. When De Abreu looked up, Hernandez allegedly raised his handgun and fired five shots right into the car. De Abreu and his friend were dead within minutes. Hernandez and Bradley sped off into the night and drove to Bradley's girlfriend's house. There, they laid low, tensely watching the news to see if anyone had reported the shooting. By the next day, no one had. Hernandez and Bradley hid the SUV and returned to their separate lives. After the shooting, Hernandez returned to the Patriots for training camp in the 2012 season. He was noticeably nervous, paranoid, and edgy. Making matters worse, he suffered from a few serious injuries. First, a high ankle sprain that caused him to miss a few games, then a torn labrum in his shoulder that left him hobbled for the rest of the season. Still, he played through the pain and remained an integral part of the Patriots' offense. The Patriots won their division and made another deep run in the playoffs. Hernandez had the most receptions of his playoff career against the Baltimore Ravens, but they lost the AFC Championship game and the season ended. Without football to distract him, Hernandez became increasingly paranoid. 
When he went out at night, he worried that he was surrounded by plainclothes policemen ready to arrest him. He brought a gun with him everywhere, slept with a kitchen knife on his nightstand, and grew suspicious that Bradley was going to talk. Just a week after the AFC loss, Hernandez and Bradley were driving home from a club when they were pulled over by a cop. Hernandez, in the passenger seat, tried to use his celebrity to get out of trouble, as he had before. But this time, it didn't work. Bradley was arrested for drunk driving. Hernandez's anxiety only worsened with Bradley's arrest. At any moment, Bradley could reveal the truth about the shooting, effectively ruining Hernandez's life. Thankfully for Hernandez, Bradley was soon released and hadn't given him up. Then, in February of 2013, Hernandez flew down to Florida to reunite with his old college friends. He brought Bradley along, their relationship seemingly repaired by Bradley's show of loyalty. Hernandez, Bradley, and a few former Gators players spent the week partying first in Belle Glade, then Miami. The group ended up at a strip club called Tootsie's, the largest in the world. There, the drinking and drug use escalated, along with Hernandez's paranoia. He decided he had to do something to make sure Bradley never talked to the police. At Tootsie's, Hernandez got into an argument with Bradley over the shooting. The fight escalated when they got into the car and drove away. It ended when Hernandez put a gun to Bradley's head and pulled the trigger then dumped his body out of the car. The next morning, a truck driver found Alexander Bradley abandoned in a parking lot. Shockingly, Bradley wasn't just alive, he was talking. The bullet had cost him one of his eyes, but somehow missed his brain. When the police arrived and asked Bradley who shot him, he lied. He had no interest in telling the cops the truth about his old friend, He wanted to take care of the situation himself. Meanwhile, Hernandez landed back in New England and received a startling text message sent from the man he thought he'd just killed. In the text, Bradley told Hernandez that he wouldn't talk to the police, but that he wouldn't let bygones be bygones either. Bradley wanted payback, either through money or blood. Hernandez's heart raced, his breath tight and rapid. A string of shootings had already followed him everywhere he went, and now he had to deal with constant threats from a friend with strong criminal connections. He couldn't go to the police, so he turned to the one thing that could make his problems disappear. A major football team. In February 2012, Hernandez set a meeting with his coach, Bill Belichick. They met in an upscale hotel room in Indianapolis, where Belichick was attending the annual NFL Combine. Hernandez told Belichick that he believed his life was in danger and asked to be traded to a team on the West Coast where he could better hide. But Belichick had no interest in trading a star player whom the team had just committed $40 million to. Instead, Belichick suggested that Hernandez remain on the team but lay low buy a safe house apartment near the stadium and spend the off-season in California. He agreed and moved to Los Angeles in the spring of 2013. Hernandez hoped that the heat would die down by the time training camp began in the summer, but it didn't. Alexander Bradley continued texting, bragging about the weaponry, manpower, and bulletproof vests he was gathering to use against Hernandez. 
It made Hernandez more and more frenzied. It was clear that whenever he returned to New England, Bradley would be waiting for him. Football wasn't going to save him. He had no way out. So in May of 2013, Aaron Hernandez returned to Boston, ready for a fight. Thanks again for listening to Sports Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two of the Aaron Hernandez story. We'll see how the war with Alexander Bradley ended and discuss how Hernandez crimes eventually caught up to him. You can find all episodes of Sports Criminals and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Sports Criminals, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Sports Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Sports Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Nick Johnson with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Sports Criminals was written by Ryan Lee with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and stars Tim Johnson and Carter Roy. 